Jude 17. Jude, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, says these words, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And we'll finish our reading there. Let's pray again that prayer um, from our psalm this morning, Psalm 19. Father, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thus far in this letter, we have learned that Jude changed his original plans to call the church to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That was, in a sense, episode number one. Jude changed his plans because certain people had crept in unnoticed. And then in episode two, in verses five to 16, Jude described these people, these false teachers, as those who reject authority, those who follow their own sinful desires, those who lead others astray, and ultimately those who will be judged if they continue in their ungodliness. His descriptions help us, in a sense, to spot false teachers among us. And if we realize, perhaps even today, or in your own uh, church context back at home, that there are false teachers among us, the question arises, what are we to do? And that was the case for Jude's readers. False teachers were clearly among them, and they're potentially asking Jude, well, how should we respond Because as of yet, you've told us to contend for the faith. You've told us who the false teachers are. You've you've described them immensely to us. But you haven't uh, told us how to practically respond, how to practically contend for the faith, how to practically live with false teachers. Well, that's Jude's focus in this verse, uh, in this passage. This passage contains the only commands of the entire letter. Jude commands the church to first look back to remember, and then to look in to remain, and then to look around to rescue. It's a very simple outline for us today. Look back to remember, look in uh, to remain, and look around to rescue. So let's consider each command in turn as we discover how to live practically with false teachers. Command number one, look back to remember. Look back to remember. Have you ever heard, um, or maybe even said these words yourself after a specific situation? If only I remembered, dot, 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 then I, dot, dot, dot. For example, if only I remembered to do my homework, then I wouldn't be in detention. If only I remembered not to look at my phone, then I would still have my driving license. If only I remembered my pastor's counsel, 
then my marriage wouldn't be in trouble. And that simple statement illustrates the truth that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And that's what Jude does in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. He brings back to our knowledge previous predictions, the forewarning, that prepare us, they forearm us for living with false teachers. Jude brings our knowledge back to the previous predictions that prepare us for living with false teachers. Jude calls on his readers and us today to look back to the apostles' predictions and remember what the apostles said. But before looking at what the apostles said, let's let's take a minute to define what exactly an apostle is. The word apostle simply means one who is sent out. In the New Testament, it often refers to Jesus' 12 apostles who were uniquely called by Jesus to be the foundation of the truth uh, of the church. There are no apostles today because to be an apostle like the 12, you must physically see the risen Lord Jesus. The apostle Peter made this clear in Acts chapter 1, 21 to 22, when he set out the credentials for an apostle. Notice that apostles don't speak on their own authority. They, 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 they speak on the authority of the one who has sent them out. So the apostles of Jesus spoke on behalf of Jesus. After Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, Jesus continued to speak through his apostles. So unlike false teachers who reject authority, as we saw the last time together, True, genuine disciples will listen to and respect the authority of their Lord as communicated through his apostles. So what did the apostles say? We'll look at verse 18. Verse 18. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, mockers, following their own ungodly passions. Jude may be quoting from the apostle Peter. Because this uh, verse uh, occurs in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. But at the end of the day, whether he is or whether he isn't doesn't really matter. Because this truth is found throughout the Bible. For example, back in Matthew chapter 24, it should be on the screen behind me. Matthew 24, 24 to 25, Jesus said these words. For false Christ. And false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Likewise, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 29-30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. You see, the truth of the New Testament and even the truth of the Old Testament is that false prophets, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, will arise. And the apostles predicted false teachers to prepare us for living in the last days. Notice that phrase, the last time or the last days. It's now as evidenced by the presence of false teachers. You see, since the first coming of Jesus until his second coming, when he will come to judge the living and the dead, we live, the church is in the last days. Last days characterized by false teachers who mock God and follow their own ungodly lusts. 
Jude then applies this prediction to the false teachers who had crept in among his readers. As we notice in verses 5 to 16, they, they reject authority, they, they, they mock angels, they lead others astray, they, they follow their own sinful desires. And in verse 19, Jude gives us one final summary of these people. Just listen how, how, how succinctly and how, in a sense, uh, forcefully Jude pushes it. He says, verse 19, it is these who cause divisions. In other words, because of their spiritual arrogance, these people uh, separate themselves. They pull away from the rest of the church and they lead others astray with them. They pull others to them, pulled and pushed, and the church is divided. It is these who cause divisions. They are worldly people. That is, they they are natural and unspiritual. They live on the level of instincts. And finally final statement, Jude says they are devoid of the spirit. And this is Jude's summary statement of their spiritual status. The spiritual status of these false teachers, simply put, they are unbelievers. They are not Christians. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And Jude says to the beloved, make no mistake, these false teachers among you, false teachers in general, they may claim to teach by the spirit, they may claim to have had dreams by the spirit, but in fact they don't have the spirit. Why? Because they aren't Christians in the first place. And that's what he closes with. He then moves on to positive exhortation, but he closes with that final summary statement. These guys aren't Christians. They are false teachers, and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And today, sadly, but not surprisingly, there are many false teachers across our world. This is especially true in the continent of Africa. Self-appointed men of God mock God's truth and they follow their own sinful lust. They prey on the vulnerable and they lead others astray. Back in 2016, uh, my first time in South Africa, I, I became overwhelmed one night and discouraged by the presence of false teachers. Just in that small bit of South Africa, they were there, you you. you you see their, their concerts and, and you hear about people who are moved away and you hear about the destruction that they're causing and it just, it just overwhelms you and it discourages you. And then, one night, God guided me to this small letter from Jude. And what an encouragement it was. An encouragement it was to hear that God isn't caught by surprise by their presence in Christ's church. And since God isn't caught by surprise, we shouldn't be surprised ourselves. Christ said that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And the same applies to false teachers. Christ said he will build his church and he will build his church even though there are false teachers trying to draw away, if possible, the elect of God. A church, we have been forewarned in order to be forearmed. Jesus, through his apostles, told us that there would be wolves among sheep. They are here and we can live with them by first looking back 
looking back and remembering what we have been told by the apostles, by Jesus, and by the prophets. The apostles predict it so that we can be prepared. Jude moves on in verses 20 to 21 to to then practically tell us what to do with this knowledge. You see, it may be good to, to look back and to remember, but then what do we do? Okay, we're not surprised, but how do we practically live this out? Well, Jude tells us in his second command, look in to remain. Look in to remain. Remain in what? God's love. This is Jude's central command in verses 20 and 21. He writes in verse 21, uh, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is God's love for us. As Christians, we, we, we live with false teachers by not focusing on them and not focusing on their condemnation, but rather by focusing on our relationship with God. We must ensure that we stay close to him We are commanded, the one command in this section by Jude, the one command is this, remain in the sphere of God's love shown to us. In his letter, it's interesting how Jude holds the perfect tension between God's sovereignty on one hand and human responsibility on the other hand. It's true that God will keep us for his son, verse 1 and verse 24. And it's also true that we have a responsibility as Christians to keep ourselves in the sphere of God's love. So how do we do that? How practically do we do that, Alex? Well, Jude actually tells us. He gives us three practical steps to follow. Three practical steps related to this central command. Step number one, we remain in God's love, verse 20, by building ourselves up in the faith. We remain in God's love by building ourselves up in the faith. And to remain in God's love, we, we must continue to grow in the knowledge of what we believe. The most holy faith in verse 20 refers to the clear body of teaching, which we have noticed before back in verse 3. It's the truth of the apostolic gospel, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he was raised again in accordance with the scriptures. We remain in God's love by reminding ourselves daily and over and over again of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love shown to us in Christ Jesus. And we also avoid false teaching by knowing and growing in good teaching. It means then that every Christian is to be a lifelong student of the Bible. Why? So that we are established in the faith. To use Paul's words in Colossians chapter 2, so that we are built up and rooted and established in the faith so that no one may take us captive by false philosophy or doctrine. That's how we remain in God's love. By building the faith up, one truth at a time on a Sunday morning, in our homes, as the church. Please notice in verse 20 that that this is a collective command. It involves the whole congregation. Notice what Jude says in verse 21 with a central command. Keep yourselves, plural, in the love of God. Verse 20, this first step, by building yourselves, plural, up in the most holy faith. 
In other words, we are to help one another to remain in God's love. No Christian should be left behind in our collective pursuit of maturity. And that's why I've entitled this point, Look In. Look into the church. Be concerned about the church. Be concerned about one another, about brothers and sisters in Christ. We look in at the local church to help one another grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we all collectively remain in God's love. And what a challenge this is against the individualistic tendencies we have here in the West. And also what a rebuke this is for Christians who badmouth the local church and think that they can live without it. I've said to Sam recently, I've been here nine, ten months in Frankfurt, and there are two truths I've established about different teachings out there, and one of them's this that we can live without the local church. That's not true. All of the commands in the New Testament are for the local church. Love one another, care for one another, build one another up, keep yourselves plural, build yourselves plural up in the most holy faith. It's worked out in the local church. And Jude issues a collective command which can only be fulfilled when Christians operate in local churches. So we build ourselves up in the faith by, by, by reading the Bible together. Some of the women in the church are doing that at the present time. We build our, ourselves up in the faith by, by, by discussing theology together and by asking questions of one another. We build ourselves up in the faith by, by, by worshipping on a Sunday morning. We build ourselves up in the faith during the week at our respective river groups. We also build ourselves up in the faith when, when, uh, when, when the ladies and when the men, uh, when, when we meet and we, we openly talk and we share about our struggles in the Christian life. That's how we build one another up, brick by bit, uh, brick, bit by bit, in the context of the local church. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we noticed last time together in verse 12 that these false teachers, well, they feed only themselves. True Christians, on the other hand, were to be concerned about the spiritual growth of the believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ, were to help one another know, remember, and apply this truth. During the week, as I was researching just on this, reading some commentaries, came across an English minister, uh, Dick Lucas, and he, 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 t- he takes the language of building, and he says this, a very, very simple quote, a very profound quote, He says, a brick cannot be built into the building unless it is on the building site. A brick cannot be built into the building unless it is first on the building site. Brother and sister in Christ, you're not alone in the Christian life. You're not alone in the Christian life. So don't act like it by isolating yourself from the local church. Instead, let's pursue maturity together in Christ. We remain in God's love by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Second step is we remain in God's love by, by, by praying in the Holy Spirit. Our, uh, our charismatic friends uh, come to this passage and, and they say praying in the Holy Spirit certainly refers uh, to the gift of tongues. Well, that's not, 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 not 100%. 
Jude's phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit, doesn't refer to, to, to a special type of prayer. Rather, it is all about prayer because every prayer, all prayer, is enabled and inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing within the context of Jude to suggest that this is one type of prayer, such as tongues. No, this is, this is all prayer because all prayer is enabled by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's general prayer. All prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Well, we ask, what do we do in prayer? Well, through prayer, we, we praise God. We confess our sin to God. We, we thank God. We, we ask God for help and for, um, for, for uh, comfort for one another. And in all of this, prayer, praise, confession, thanksgiving, asking, in all of this, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us remember that we are children of God, that we are His and He is ours, that we are loved with an everlasting love. Not because of our upbringing, but because God chose to set his love upon us. The Spirit also helps us cry, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8. It's the Spirit who enables and inspires us to do that. The Spirit also guides us into all truth. And the Spirit gives us the ability to discern between truth and between falsehood. So as false teachers live among us, Through prayer, we declare our dependence on God and by prayer, our relationship with God is strengthened. And that's why Jude says we remain in God's love by praying, praying in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you remember Back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the episode in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's for those who, who, who are uncertain of what that is. That's before Jesus was arrested and his, his, his trial and crucifixion happened. Jesus brought his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. Interestingly, they had been there before. So Jesus was living, in a sense, in a perpetual Gethsemane. Every time he stepped in there, he knew what was going to happen, and yet he went back. But do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane how Jesus told his disciples to pray that they may not fall into temptation? I'm getting some nods. Yeah? Remember that, don't we? Jesus said, pray that they may not fall into temptation. And when Jesus came back from praying himself, that great prayer, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus came back from praying himself, what were the disciples doing? Yeah, he found them asleep. And again, Jesus told them to pray. It didn't happen once, it happened three times. Jesus went back, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Goes back, the lads are sleeping. He goes back again, and he goes back, and they're sleeping. And in Matthew and Mark's gospel account, Peter is singled out by Jesus for not praying The same Peter who previously declared that he would never fall even if everyone else did. That his love would remain when the whole world would be loveless towards Jesus. And after this, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter followed along at a distance. 
And he denied his Lord not once, not twice, but three times. It's not a coincidence, is it? It's not a coincidence that, that, that Jesus denied his love for Jesus after he failed to pray. I think it was Matthew Henry, the old, uh, uh, the old theologian, 16th century I think it was, says that prayerlessness is the root of backsliding. Prayerlessness is the root of backsliding. Brothers and sisters, sisters we, are, we are commanded to remain in God's love and we do so by praying at all times as the Holy Spirit enables and directs us. Thirdly, third step, how do we remain in God's love? How do we keep ourselves in God's love? We remain in God's love by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Christians, if you're a Christian, I hope this describes you. Christians are meant to be hopeful people. And when we say the word hope in, in, in modern day, we say, tomorrow I hope the sun is shining. Or back in Northern Ireland where I'm from, we say, tomorrow I hope it's not raining. <laughs> Rains all the time. And it's, 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 it's this, this desire, but there's no certainty whether it'll be sunny or whether, whether, whether it will rain or not. Christian hope, however, is not wishful thinking, rather it's certain anticipation. The hope of Jesus' return is certain for the believer. Therefore, as Christians, we are to wait expectantly for our Savior's return. You see, when Jesus returns, as Sam has mentioned, he will judge the living and the dead. The ungodly will face just judgment, as Jude has previously made clear. Believers, on the other hand, will receive mercy. Mercy is God's compassion and action. On the final day, Jesus will extend mercy to his followers by not dealing with us according to our sins, nor casting us away from him forever. And this is what we wait for in our world. Mercy on the final day that Jude says leads to eternal life. The phrase eternal life refers not just to the quantity of life, i.e. it's everlasting, never ends, But more appropriately, it refers to the quality of life. A life where we'll be safe and secure forever. Free from trials and tribulations. Free from imposters and pretenders. We will be sheep with our great shepherd forever. Without any fear whatsoever of wolves ever arriving. That's what eternal life is will be like. Maybe you heard in the Christian news this week of the passing of the American pastor and theologian Tim Keller. After several years of battling cancer, uh, Tim passed into the presence of his saviour a few days ago. And he is now, at that moment, from life into death, he has now walked into that eternal life that he possessed in this life. On Twitter, his family said that his last words were full of certainty. Tim said on his deathbed, there is no downside for me leaving, not the slightest. There is no downside for me leaving, not the slightest. Why? Well, to use a previous sermon, he said, is because death is no longer an executor. Rather, it is a gardener 
Once we are planted, we will rise again into the fruit of eternal life. Because Tim Keller stepped into the presence of Jesus and inherited eternal life. Life free from pain, life free from persecution, life free from cancer, life free from criticism, and a life full of love, joy, and peace. And that is the eternal life that he has now and the eternal life that all of us who trust in Christ will inherit one day. Amen. And perhaps you're not a Christian today. And perhaps you're saying, well, this idea of of eternal life sounds great. Because everyone in the world tells me, YOLO, you only live once. But I don't believe that. I think there's more to life after the grave. But you've never really heard what it is. Well, it's this. Eternal life with your creator. But it's only for those who have trusted Jesus as their savior and Lord in this life. And yet there's good news for you today if you're not a Christian. Eternal life can be yours today if you simply confess your sin to Almighty God and believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross in your place. Turn from your sin and trust wholeheartedly upon him as your saviour and accept him as your Lord. Then and only then can you, can you be certain of eternal life. Because as we heard at the start of the service, First John chapter 5, whoever has the Son has life. And that is how you can be sure today of eternal life. By turning from your sin and by trusting in him. And brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but when you're hurt because of false teaching, or you feel overwhelmed by the presence of false teachers, turn your eyes to the heavens and eagerly await your Savior's return. We remain in God's love by thinking not of this world and not of the things around us, but of things to come. And one simple way to do this is 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 to think and to meditate using your Bible about what will be in heaven and what won't be in heaven. Ultimately, Jesus will be there as our greatest prize. And thank the Lord that sin won't be there in heaven. Use the study of God's word to fuel your longing for your heavenly home. So do you feel that your love for God is cold right now that you aren't aren't sure whether God loves you or whether God doesn't love you well according to Jude keep yourselves in the love of God remain in God's love by building yourselves up in the faith by praying in the Holy Spirit and by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Yes, we are to to look back and to remember, but we are also to look in and remain. And thirdly, and finally, we are to look around to rescue. Look around to rescue. In verses 22 and 23, Jude provides three groups of people in the visible church so in this local body, whether it's Christians and non-Christians, he, he, Jude provides three groups of people in the visible church who we should look around for to rescue them. And they are the doubters, the followers, and the teachers. Notice first, the doubters. Jude writes in verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. 
The present tense is used, highlighting that this first group consists of present doubters, confused Christians. You see, some in Jude's audience had heard some of the false teaching and are unsure of what to make of it. After all, most of what the teachers appears to be true, and the questionable parts, well, well, well they back it up by, by claims to divine revelation. So surely they are right. What do I make of this teaching? And today, genuine Christians, and let me underscore that, genuine Christians may be confused about love, for example, because they hear popular preachers saying that love is love, so we can live however we feel. Or another example, Christians may be confused about life after death because they wonder how a loving God can send people to hell. They're caught in two minds. While they aren't completely convinced by some of this teaching here, neither are they completely convicted of the biblical teaching. They're in no man's land in a sense. They don't know whether to go right or whether to go left. They are confused Christians. So how should the church, how should we respond to this this group? Well, Jude says, verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. As Christians, we should see the turmoil of these people and immediately be moved to action. We are not to condemn them as heretics because of their doubts. We are not to, to, uh, to, to judge them. Rather, we patiently and gently help them understand what the Bible says. And church, may we never get to the point here at River of Life where confused Christians don't feel comfortable to raise their concerns. And let me say it again publicly from the front. Sam is the pastor, and I as the apprentice. We are always open for a cup of coffee. So we invite you, as leaders in the church, to come forward and express your doubts to us. We trust that, that, that we are approachable enough to do that for you that you feel comfortable enough for us to to open the Bible and see what God's word says about the doubts that we have. Because let's face it, all of us doubt at times. Thomas, one of the Lord's disciples, what's his name? Doubting Thomas. He doubted the resurrection. He needed proof. So you're not alone in this. And don't be ashamed. Rather, come forward, those who doubt. And church, we extend mercy, compassion on the present doubters. Second group of entitled the followers. Jude introduces his second group at the beginning of verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Unlike the doubters who are caught in two minds, the followers, well, 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 they're convinced that the false teachers are right. Although they profess to be Christians, they have started to reject authority and they have started to follow their own sinful desires. And today, people in church may have been persuaded by, by an anti-law lifestyle. We see it in society, and we see it in the church, that, that we don't want restrictions. We don't want law. So some people today believe that they are free to live as they please, because in the end, Jesus' sacrifice covers everything they do. How does the church respond to this second group? Well, Jude says, save them by snatching them out of the fire. The language comes from Zechariah chapter 3. Jude's quoted it before in his letter. 
where the fire referred to God's judgment in exile, which the remnant of Judah was plucked out of. The Lord plucked you like a brand from the fire. And if these followers continue down this dangerous road, Jude says they will ultimately be consumed by God's wrath, which proves in the, in the end that their profession wasn't genuine in the first place. And yet, he says, there is still time to rescue them. While God ultimately saves, he uses his people as instruments in salvation. So we are to save people from the fire by, by, by snatching them out of it. The word snatch is a forceful word. It was used in Acts uh, chapter 23, verse 10 to describe how, 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 how a riot broke out in the Sanhedrin and the Apostle Paul was snatched out by the Roman soldiers. He was taken out quickly and with force. Why? To save his life. And as a church, we are, to, we are to be proactive. We are to confront people with the truths of the gospel and explain from the Bible why their teaching is wrong. We also need to tell them uh, to, to tell these followers that if they continue on the way that they're going, they're heading for a lost eternity. So they must repent from their false ways and they must repent from their sin and turn back to the Lord Jesus. So the doubters, the followers. Thirdly, notice the teachers. Jude continues at the end of verse 23, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And perhaps you've noticed a, a progression through these groups. Doubters are, well, they're in no man's land. They don't know. So they don't. Followers, well, they've went over to the left and and, and they've begun to follow, they've, they've started following teachers. Hey, they're away over here, okay? This group is the worst. It consists of those who are, who, are, who are committed to false teaching. They are so committed that they're even teaching the practices to try and persuade others to join. And it may even be that this last group includes the false teachers themselves. So how should the church respond to such a group? Well, Jude says, show mercy with fear. As a church, we are to confront these people with the truths of the gospel if God grants us an opportunity, but we are to do so very carefully lest we ourselves go astray. Have you ever saw that sign, proceed with caution? Well, that's over right now. Proceed with caution. And sadly, I think of some home groups here in Germany that my wife Mary told me about a couple of years ago that got so close to the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that they abandoned the truths of the gospel. They abandoned the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The garment referred to here in verse 23 is the inner tunic which was easily soiled. It was their, it was their underwear in a sense to use our terminology we were to hate even that garment. We were to stay away from them because that picture, physical language, is a metaphor for the contaminating effect of these teachers' sin. Stay away from them. Proceed with caution. Yes, confront them if God gives you an opportunity, but be certain that they will try and contaminate you. They will try to pull you away. So do so mixed with fear. 
And yet the marvelous truth is that while this group is very dangerous, they are not beyond the point of no return. False teachers and those committed to false teaching can still be saved by God's grace. You see, in a moment, God can bring them out of their darkness and into his marvelous light. Therefore, as John MacArthur, an American pastor, put it, we are to evangelize the enemy. (laughs) We are to evangelize the enemy as God gives us uh, the opportunity to do so. Show mercy, church, to the teachers, because God may use our weak and our trembling gospel presentation to bring them to new life in Christ. So church, river of life, brothers and sisters of Christ, look around, look around, and let's rescue the doubters, let's rescue the followers, and let's rescue the teachers among us to the glory of God alone. So as we draw to a close, let me draw your attention to one final truth in this passage. It's not a command, rather it's a simple yet profound truth about the Christian life. As Christians, we have a relationship with the three persons of the Godhead. Alex, where are you getting this from? Is this just some random tangent tied in at the end? No, no. Did you notice in verses 20 and 21 how Jude's application is a Trinitarian application? We are commanded to keep ourselves in the love of God the Father and we do so empowered by the Holy Spirit as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we live with false teachers among us, let's never tire of learning how the triune God works in and for us. For example, when we fear that our faith may fail, let's remember that the Father holds us in his hands. The Son prays that our faith will not totally fail. And the Holy Spirit is the present guarantee of our future inheritance. So Christians, let's enjoy and delight in our relationship with our triune God. So Jude has previously told us, verses 5 to 16, how to spot false teachers. And today Jude tells us how to live with false teachers. We are to remember, remain, and rescue together as one body. Therefore, church, therefore, church, let's arise, put our armor on, and contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Amen.